The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 57, talking some college football and to do so, I am joined this week by Chris Fanini. He writes at the All American. It's a part of theathletic.com. You can find him at the Athletic CFB, or more importantly, his personal handle at Chris Vanini. Chris, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. I appreciate you jumping on and uh, just talking a little college football. I kind of just want to go over some of the recent, you know, games, big games, big storylines, and so and such. So. Let's get right at it. Um, Florida, Tennessee was one of those games where if you were following on Twitter, you thought it was the worst game on planet Earth for the first about three and a half quarters, which partly was. But then it got into it and it got good back and forth, taunting by Tennessee on Florida. And then the Hail Mary heard around the world, basically. What was your takeaway from this? Because it seems like Butch Jones last year had the golden horseshoe in these early games. But overall, he's really struggled at Tennessee to, I think, get the product people want at Rocky Top. Yeah, I mean, he, he had the, the Hail Mary win over Georgia, but he's been had some some pretty heartbreaking losses. I mean, even to Florida two years ago in the same in the same stadium, in the same type of situation, giving up a long pass play. Uh, I, I didn't get to see much of this game live. I was actually at, I was at covering TCU-SMU, and right as I walked into – Gary Patterson's press conferences when I saw Twitter go nuts over the end of the Florida game. And I couldn't believe it because I had left, I had had, I had head down and Florida was still up by two scores. And given how the game was terrible and how it was going, I assumed it was over. So I, I come down to, I couldn't believe that Tennessee had even tied it up late. And then for Florida to win the way they did at the end was uh, quite something. And uh, quite, quite a brutal loss for Butch Jones for a lot of reasons for how ugly the game was for, for giving up a play like that. Um, just kind of a mess, but uh, you know that's kind of what it, it, it's kind of what college football is. Um, a couple, a couple questions on this game. We saw Florida in Week One against Michigan just get destroyed. Looked like they shouldn't even have been on the field at times with this team. Um, as we came into the season, thinking, okay, the offense will be better. All these things, nothing happened. This game started out very, very similar. Then they started moving the ball a bit. Is there any? Do we see anything that gives us hope that Florida can be a better Florida that people expected? Or are they just going to be this team that's just kind of middling around in the SEC, might surprise some teams, but still has a long ways to go to get, get to where they need to be? Yeah, you know, you'd like to think that a finish like that, a throw like that could jumpstart you, but 
I just got to say that given Florida's track record ever since Urban Meyer, I, I find it hard to believe that they're suddenly going to have the answer on offense. I, I, Felipe Franks, I thought he looked okay against Michigan. I didn't think the play calling was very good for him in that game. Um, his his numbers against Tennessee were not great, but not awful. Uh, and he, he is obviously a young kid, and they're missing uh, Antonio Callaway as well. So I, I'm going to say no, I don't think Florida's – I don't think it's supposed to be any sort of turning point for Florida just because we've seen it for years and years and years now, and I, I don't know if one game's really going really gonna to change it. I suspect Florida will continue to be very ugly on offense for the rest of the season. And the last question on this game involving the Tennessee side of things, we know someone from A&M's on the hot seat. Butch Jones should be on the hot seat most likely. Which one's the first to go? Uh, between Butch Jones and Kevin Sumlin? Yeah. Uh, I, I say Sumlin's in a much more difficult spot than Butch. Uh, as far as Butch goes, you know, the, he's done a pretty good job there. He, he took over a mess of a program when he got there. He's, he's been recruiting well. He's cleaned the program up off the field in some ways. And, and, and there are things to like about what he's done. That said, he has obviously had very high expectations the last two years because of how well he's recruited and how down the SEC East is. And, and he didn't match up. This year, they're not expected to win the SEC East. But uh, I, I think he's okay. He's also got a pretty sizable buyout. I don't remember what the number is. And I don't think Tennessee's a train wreck of a program that you need to make a change. Texas A&M, uh, they, they are a lot less patient there. And someone's got a buyout that's around – $10 million, but Texas A&M would have no money, no problem coming up with that money. And you've got a, a very heavy, involved booster region culture there. And with the way the season has started for A&M, with how ugly things have looked, uh, it, it's hard to see them improving that much. Um, I don't think Bush is necessarily for sure gone after this year. I think it kind of depends on how the year plays out. I think someone has a much steeper climb ahead of them this year. Okay. It's kind of what it looks like, especially you said that early start's been brutal. Um, let's take it into the Big 12. You said you were covering the TCU game, and TCU has looked amazing. The big – last weekend or two weekends ago, I guess it was, Oklahoma goes into the shoe, looks great against Ohio State. That Oklahoma State continues to just pummel team. They went into Pittsburgh, just dominated that game from start to finish. Then you have the TCU, like you mentioned, you saw this weekend. They played phenomenal. How do you assess the Big 12 right now? you got those, those big names at the top. Texas Tech isn't playing bad, and you got some other okay teams. Then Baylor's a mess. Texas almost beats USC in overtime in the Coliseum. How do you, how do you look at the Big 12 this year? I, I, think, it's, I think it's two teams at, at the head right now. It's, it's Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are clearly, clearly up, I think, above the rest of the league, and, and they're very similar. And I, I, think the, I think the regular season conference title will come down to Bedlam, and I think with this year being the first uh, – Big 12, or the first return of the Big 12 championship game, a guaranteed rematch game, I think we're going to get Oklahoma and Oklahoma State twice. I think those two teams are a step ahead of everybody else. Um, TCU, it was interesting. So they beat SMU 56-36, but Gary Patterson was not at all happy about how they played in that game. Um, they, they were sacked three times. They had three – they were sacked a number of times. They had three fumbles. They gave up some trick trick play touchdowns to, to SMU, which apparently Patterson knew was coming and, and had – game plan for it and the players didn't execute. Um, it'll be a real test going up to Stillwater and, and 
his teams have played better, a lot better on the road than they have at home in recent years. And so I think you'll be getting TCU at its best this weekend. I don't know if it'll be enough in Stillwater, but um, I think Oklahoma State wins that game. And I think it comes down to Oklahoma State for the, for the, for the league. I think they're kind of a step ahead of everybody else. Texas, you don't know what week to week you're getting from Texas. Texas Tech is looked good offensively, but we've yet to see them really play some good competition yet. Um, Baylor's a mess. Uh, Kansas State is kind of what they are. And, and so I, I think the two Oklahoma teams are, are ahead of everybody right now. Yeah, let's do a little SEC here. We'll talk uh, LSU. People thought, you know, they were actually looking pretty good there after the first few weeks, given, you know, they didn't play world beaters, one would say. So they go into Mississippi State, a team that LSU is still supposed to beat, even on the road, and they got taken care of pretty good. Can Ed Orgeron get LSU? And, you know, it's going to be tough to ever really get past Alabama. That's just tough to do. But are they going to get back to being, you know, always in a chance to compete with Alabama, like at one time Les Miles had them, or is this just kind of a – a lost, lost season in uh, Baton Rouge. Well, I'll tell you this. In terms of the, the long-term questions at LSU, so over the summer, uh, LSU as a school kind of politically maneuvered a way in which to, to not allow out-of-state schools to come into Louisiana to hold satellite camps. They wanted to keep everybody in the state of Louisiana, all the, all the state of Louisiana schools, either joined together or were kind of pushed a bit together to keep out-of-state schools there. Because if you look at how the in-state recruiting is going, uh, this past class or the year before, Alabama had had something like three or four of the top ten guys in the state, uh, Florida State. Uh, it, this used to be a state – the state of Louisiana is very good at producing talent, and LSU typically gets all of it. And in recent years, they're not. And a lot of that's going to Alabama because – and Orgeron has said the reason is because LSU is not winning enough. And you look at the talent LSU has in the trenches, it's not the same level as it was, you know, five, ten, year, five, five, ten years ago when they were really at that level. Um, so it, it, it's, it was a quite a shocking final score there to lose by 30 to a Mississippi State team that's pretty one-dimensional in its offense. Uh, it's, it's mostly going to run the ball on you. Um, uh, that that was very surprising for for a lot of reasons, and and suddenly there is some pressure on Orgeron because you know he he LSU is a very good job, and they ended up going with an interim coach. And when that happens, you know one bad loss puts you kind of in the crosshairs a little bit. So uh, they've got to get it turned around because that was that was a very surprising uh, score there. And um, I know it's a long ways away, and there can be a lot of scenarios and. A lot can happen by the end of the season, but who do you see as the potential successor of Odron? Because I'm not saying he's going to get fired this year, but everyone even said it when they let him stay. It's just kind of buying time till they get the guy they want. Who do you think the guy they want is that's going to come back? Well, I think Joe Oliva, the athletic director, did like Orgeron. I, I do think Orgeron – I mean, Orgeron was his number two choice behind Tom Herman. I, 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 I mean, things still have to play out. To, you know, I think Ed Orgeron's okay right now. He's he's just kind of got to get a turn around a little bit. Um, but in terms of the job in general, I mean, if you look at last year, you know, Jimbo Fisher has his name's been thrown out there, but now he's he's set at Florida State. Tom Herman turned it down. After that, there aren't a lot of options to turn to. There aren't a lot of 
there aren't a lot of natural fits for a, a school like that. So it's really hard to say if someone who who would who would fit in a place like that because some some places have guys who have ties there. Some guys some jobs have have you know certain recruiting things. LSU is a very very you know like obviously like I said before Louisiana focused school and that was part of that was part of Ed Orgeron's cell. So. Uh, that's kind of what he's going to need to to kind of get turned around. Yeah, I, I think Ed is perfect for the the school. He's perfect for the environment. He's not might not be perfect to get them back to prominence. But I think he's I think he's a great guy. I don't wish him to be fired. We just, it's just we kind of know what's coming eventually with the situation. Um, let's talk about something else. It's a, a kind of an off topic, but early season scheduling this year it's been interesting because you're seeing a lot of teams travel more than normal. Like for instance, UCLA traveling all the way to Memphis um, by on week three, you'll see that like week one or something, but not week three. There's been a lot of interesting schedules. Lots of it's planned ahead of time, like Texas at USC. Um, I'm not going to get into every game possible, but like SMU TCU makes sense. You're in the same region, stuff along that lines. And we know you have to do more for the playoffs but some of these teams are actually starting to kind of hurt themselves in some of these matchups by doing this. Do you see teams staying aggressive in this type of scheduling, or is it just going to be kind of a week one thing as uh, even the Big Ten, when they came out with their schedule for next year, they're actually starting a lot more conference games week one, which is used to never be a staple for the Big Ten. So how do you see that playing out, the aggressive nature of scheduling? I think it's, I think it's going to continue. I mean, it, games are getting scheduled more and more out in advance decades in advance. So I, it doesn't appear to be slowing down. I, I think a, a key part of it is, uh, you know, you can lose, you can lose a game or two and, and be okay for you, or at least you can lose a game and still be in position for the college football playoff. It's not, you don't have to be undefeated to get there. So for, for those schools that are around the, what used to be the BCS game type of level, um, there's there's more games than there were before. More teams are getting into these top games because you've added the playoff and you've added the championship game, and you know you can afford to lose one. And and it's and it's good for for money purposes. A lot of these neutral site games happen because teams get massive payouts that are equal to or more than they would get for a home game. Um, I personally love would pr much prefer home and homes. It, it's too bad Alabama is only willing to pay play the neutral site games now and not travel like they used to when they went to Penn State a, a few years back. But, um, you know, it's better than nothing. And I, I think I think you're getting kind of back to the scheduling mindset some teams used to have back in the 80s when, you know, a lot of teams would play anybody anywhere and just kind of – you kind of went with it. I think we're not at the not at the level where a poll determines the championship, but there's more margin for error, I think. And, and people want marquee games because that's how you draw more fans and draw more season tickets. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I agree with everything you said. Seeing like te uh, seeing Texas in the Coliseum, or seeing Oklahoma at the Shoe, that was awesome. Um, as a as a Wisconsin fan, I know it's Lambeau, so it's different, but it's still fun seeing LSU come to Lambeau this year. The home and home with BYU. These are things you don't get every day. So I do like it. I hope they don't change it. I just heard a lot of rumblings the last few weeks about some teams might want to rethink things a lot more. So. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, on another level, I know it's only three weeks in, but you, you already mentioned, you know, Oklahoma State's kind of running away with the – or should be the one that takes the Big 12. Let me rephrase that. How would you rank the uh, the five major conferences, ACC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, through three weeks of action? 
Well, uh, you know, actually, at the uh, we have a um, a I believe we have a conference rankings formula on on the athletic. I'm trying to pull it up here, see if we have it. Uh, oh, maybe not. But I, I ranking early on, I'll say. I think the Big Ten early on has looked has looked pretty good. I mean, mostly because of the teams at the lower level, the, the schools like Purdue, um, Indiana's look a little bit better, uh, stuff like that. Um, Ohio State's struggled. Um, Big Ten's probably right up there, but things will change. Um, I, I think the Big 12, I would just, based on my own personal ranking, I'd put the Big 12 at number two for the teams that we said. I think there's some, some top tier, so there's some more top tier teams in the Big 12 than there are maybe in the, in the Big Ten right now. Um, SEC, I'll put SEC at third because it's the most talented, but it, it's clearly a very flawed league. It's not like it was when they won all those national championships in a row. Um, a lot of struggling offenses. I, I mean, last year, everybody except Alabama in the SEC lost at least four games, so there are some problems there. And then uh, ACC, I put four – well, no, I'll put the Pac-12 fourth and then the ACC fifth. The ACC, a lot of people wondered if that was the best conference. I think the ACC was the best conference last year, but we didn't realize that until the end of the season when, when, when you know, Clemson beats Alabama and, and you see some of the other way the other games played out. I think ACC was the best conference last year, but uh, not, not this year. Yeah, and Florida State losing Francois really hurts that, that argument yes. as well. Clemson looked great uh, or looked really, really good against Louisville. Do you think they have what it takes to defend? I, I think they'll make it to the playoffs. I'm, I'm pretty confident as long as barring injuries, they could get that far. Do you think they have enough to, to repeat? I, I, I do. I, I do. It starts with that defense, which is uh, just just remarkable under defensive coordinator Brent Venables. They brought seven starters back from last year's defense, which was also one of the nation's best. And that defensive line is absolutely ferocious, pressuring quarterbacks all day and night this season. Um, probably the best defensive line in the country. Um, offensively, they, they've had some struggles here and there. They, they didn't look great offensively against Auburn, but I think Kelly Bryant is starting to come, uh, starting to get used to it, starting to get more experience. He's very poised out there. He doesn't panic. So I think you're going to see him continue to develop as the season's going along. And, and the defense will be there to give him plenty of time to grow, too. It's Kelly Bryant's not going to be asked to, to win a lot of games for them, and the defense will do that plenty. So I think that will be good for his uh, for his growth throughout the season. They've already got Louisville in the rearview mirror. Florida State's got its quarterback issues. It, it's it's uh, it's Right now it's hard to see anybody but Clemson winning the ACC. Okay. And um, last question, and we'll get you on your way. The Heisman, it's way too early, but this is what people talk about because, well, that's what people talk about. Um, you know, you got Lamar Jackson, the defending champ. You got Mason Rudolph. You got Sam Darnold at USC. There's there's a handful of more talented players. If you had to vote today, which obviously you don't, who would your top three Heisman uh, winners be? Uh, number one would be Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I think I think the win at Ohio State was the yeah. second was the second best win of any team this year behind Alabama's win over Florida State and Baker Mayfield was absolutely tremendous in that game um, uh, I, I just for a lot of reasons I mean he set the, last year doesn't matter but last year he set the record for passer rating and I think he's only I think he's only even better this year and um, I, I, I've got him as my number one right now uh, number two I've got Mason Rudolph the the Oklahoma State quarterback right now who's who's 
been sitting out some quarters because of their blowouts have been so big. He hasn't needed to be in there so long. But uh, like I've said before, that offense looks just incredible. And so Mason Rudolph, the Oklahoma State quarterback, I've got number two. And number three, number three is tough. I, I could go with a lot of people here. Uh, right now, I'm going to go with Sam Darnold, who has had some ups and downs this year. Wasn't great against Texas, but I also think he deserves credit for engineering that that game-tying drive against the Longhorns late, some of the plays he made, the jump pass he made. Um, you can see he's got all the ability there. It seems sometimes it, it doesn't always click like maybe people expect, but he's also only a redshirt sophomore, so he, he's, he's got ways to go through. Other guys who could be in the mix, Rashad Penny, the running back at, at San Diego State. I mean, Ed Oliver, the defensive lineman at, at Houston. I think Lamar Jackson's still in the mix. Um, those are probably some of the guys I've got. Uh, up there right now, but I'd probably go with Baker Mayfield, number one, Mason Rudolph, number two, and and kind of a loose number three with with uh, Sam Darnold at number uh, at three. Yeah, that's very very valid. Mayfield was amazing against Ohio State. I actually have one more question. Yeah. Product from that, um, Sam Darnold, he's he's looked great in his second game. Kind of struggled his first game, like you said, was good enough against Texas. What I want to know is this USC team. People had high hopes for this year, and they. It's like a roller coaster with them. What should we really expect by these guys? Are they just kind of one of those roller coaster teams? Or are they really an elite team like people thought coming into the season? Well, I, I think they're a flawed team in certain ways. They're they're very young at, at some positions like like receiver, and that's you know that'll fall on Darnold a bit. And and a big thing with them, they don't have a bye at all this year. They played twelve straight games to start the season, and if they make the Pac twelve championship, they will have a bye before that. Their bye comes on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but 12 straight games is going to be very tough. And and teams who have gone through it before, I mean, you've really from, – from the very beginning of the year, you have to you have to work on your recovery. And Chantel Jennings, a writer for the All-American, uh, was at USC after that first game this year, after they beat Western Michigan, to get an inside look at how they're recovering and preparing to – to last throughout the entire season because you've got to start it now. You can't, you know, you got to, you got to make sure you don't wear guys out by the time you get to that end of that 12 game stretch. So that's a, it's a little thing. It may seem like a little thing, but I, I think it'll, it'll be a big thing because it's very hard to get 18 to 21 year olds focused every single weekend. And, and, and they're not going to have a break. And you've already seen this year how inconsistent they are. I, I think USC will be a, inconsistent team throughout the year. They, they've got the talent, though. They do have the talent that, that could get them over the top uh, enough times to to get them into the Pac-12 title game and possibly the playoff. And, and you've got a great quarterback in Darnold there. But um, there will be there will be some interesting games that could trip them up if they're not focused. Wow, that's a great point. I did not even know they didn't have a buy. You don't see that pretty much ever in college football these days. Yeah, Most well, teams yeah. have a couple yeah, the, I mean, the Pac-12, the way the Pac-12 does its scheduling every year, there's a team that, that has it. Uh, Rich Rodriguez in Arizona had it a few years ago, and Rich Rod was absolutely pissed about it and, and, and despised having that. So a couple teams have had it in recent years. A couple teams have had it in recent years, and, the, and none of them like it for, for obvious reasons, and player safety being one of them too. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm surprised they still even – you think they'd try to fix that, but it is what it is. It's what they do. But, um, Chris, thanks for joining me, man. Good stuff. Everybody, check him out at The American. It's a part of The Athletic. You can uh, – at The Athletic, call uh, CFB, or he's on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. Chris, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Take care. Thank you. Uh, everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 57. 
some college football talk with Chris Vanini of the All-American at theathletic.com. We'll catch you guys later.